All right, welcome to episode number one, the inaugural episode of Imposter Syndrome, a golf podcast. I'm your host, Todd Howe. I'm a custom club builder from Los Angeles, California, and uh, I'm excited to welcome my co-host, my good friend, smartest man on the podcast, uh, and in my opinion, the best club fitter in Los Angeles, Mr. Sean Fagan. How are you, sir? I am great. How are you, Ace? I'm doing good. I'm doing really good. Uh, the first week of 2024 has just come and gone. Did you play? Did I play? Um, let's see. I did play in the desert. I went out to Palm Springs. We played Terra Lago with a couple friends. My uh, my friend June hosts this massive uh winter golf camp from uh, a bunch of people from Korea. There's over a hundred players that come in from Korea for three months. It's called golf story winter camp. Uh, June rented, I believe he said 18 houses and he's got over a hundred players, uh, some corn fairy, some very high level world-class M players, bunch of junior players. It's this massive turnout and they're out there for like three months. Got a chance to play with him and some of the Korean press, we had a great time. Uh, and it's really cool to see like, you know, how many different ways and onion layers of the onion there are in golf, right? I mean, it's a sport that's worldwide, truly. And, you know, in my business, it's really n- nice. I get to interface with people from literally all over the world. And, you know, some of my friends are doing some like real things uh, internationally. So it was cool to see. And, you know, I played like crap. I made a couple birdies for the, uh, for the press that was there, but... It was uh, it was cold. It was windy. You know, perfect time of the year in the Palm Desert. So it was uh, it was a lot of fun, though. How about you? Did you play? I was meant to. Yeah, we were we were uh, meant to head down to Navy Destroyer on Sunday. Which, uh, for those of you who have never uh, been to California, Navy Destroyer is the course where Tiger Woods grew up and learned to play the game. It's an awesome track. The green complexes are absolutely amazing. And, you know, I'm up at 5.30, ready to get down there by 7.30, spend an hour at the range for 8.30 tea time and get a text saying it's blowing an absolute gale. I think we should cancel. And uh, I was I was up for playing. The other guys, not so much. Uh, I grew up playing in a lot of wins, so I don't really care. But I haven't played yet. Mm. Well, from where I'm from in Massachusetts, where they got a foot of snow, um, you know, cold, windy, you know, golf conditions out in the Palm Desert are, are still better than a foot of snow in a nor'easter through Massachusetts. So, you know, we uh, we have it real tough out here in Southern California for sure. Yeah, even even less tough in Hawaii, um, where this weekend uh, just gone. Um, Chris Kirk shot 29 under. That's to, it? Yeah, just 29 under. He was uh, shot eight under for the final round. Um, he beat uh, Sahith Tagala, our local boy here in California, who shot 10 under for the final round. Lipped out a birdie part on 18 to uh, – uh, he could have gone to 29 under, but finished 28 under and uh, came runner-up. Um, but yeah, there was, you know, I, it was a good tournament. I got to say the first two rounds were probably overshadowed by Jason day, um, sporting Melbourne for the first time, hmm. uh, very polarizing on social media. I think, uh, some, there were people that just could not wrap their heads around what Melbourne's about. Um, luckily, luckily I think we can, but, uh, yeah, some, 
some people just didn't get it. It was either love it or hate it. Um, but uh, yeah, look, Chris Kirk played really well, um, hit just a monster shot from 209 yards uh, to about two feet to birdie 17. And yeah, uh, and his heart rate probably just- jumped to 58. After yeah, that, right. That, right. That yeah. <laughs> so did mine. I'll tell you what, it was yeah. so exciting. Yeah. No, it's a really good win. Won a hell of a lot of money. And uh, you know, I was I was rooting for Sahith. I love Sahith. I've been following him since uh since he won the SCGA amateur in twenty eighteen or twenty nineteen over at Lakeside. Um just one hell of a good golfer. He's gonna have a good year. Um yeah. Akshay Bhatia, another local boy from from the valley here. Yeah, and a lefty. Sean's a lefty, by the way, everybody. Um, switched to the Mez, uh, the Lab Mez putter. And he went from 183rd in putting last season to first this week at the Century. So hmm. what do you make of that? I wouldn't know. Uh, I haven't hit a Lab in left-handed yet. So if anyone wants to uh, make one or hook it up, I'd like to at least test it. But uh, you know, it's a it's a theme when you're a left-handed golfer. Uh, equipment is not necessarily at your beck and call. You just kind of play with what you got. And I think it's a little disingenuous to have an opinion on a product you haven't actually tested yourself. So um, all I know is the lab putters have obviously given certain players either a physical or mental or maybe even physiological edge. You know, we've seen a lot of success over the last few years using it. Um, and that's about the extent of what I know about it because, you know, it's one thing to swing a putter right-handed, but with my feels like I need to experience it lefty and I haven't quite seen a, a lab putter yet to, uh, to fully experience it and give you a real opinion from a club fitter perspective. There's two different types of people, right? There's a guy or gal who uses a new putter every week. And there's the guy or gal who hits the same putter for years until they, they, you know, finally decide to change out of it. And I fall into the latter category. I don't know. I'm, I'm in the abyss right now with putting. So we'll get in, we'll get into that without 2024 goals for uh, sure later, but putting boy, oh boy, that is one hell of a dark art. The hardest thing and the easiest thing about golf. It really is. It's the ultimate paradox. Just going back to J day. Um, you know, his, uh, from a, from an equipment perspective, I really, I really love that he's now, you know, he's, he's essentially a free agent and he's got a bag, um, a brand agnostic approach to his bag. Mm-hmm. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Look, I, th- I've been brand agnostic in my career for the last five years. I'm a firm believer that all clubs are great. They all just do slightly different things now. And even to that point, like let's talk irons, for instance, you know, just because there's such a prevalence of different iron uh, products and, you know, the, the specifications are all over the place. At my shop, TruSpec in Beverly Hills, we have, I don't know, probably 80 different club heads, all six irons, and they range from 23 to 31 degrees. Um, so obviously there's a tremendous variance in the interpretation of a six iron, not from just company to company, but product to product. And despite all that, you know, you try and con- like consolidate all of the different options into the real fundamental archetype models. There's always going to be the single best product execution from someone each year in each category, right? And being able to be brand agnostic 
allows for a much wider variety of different shapes and sizes and feels, despite all potentially being in the same style of iron. For instance, like, you know, blades are always going to be pretty similar. You can only do so much with a blade, but you start getting into the player's cavity backs, the player's, you know, uh, distance irons, things like that, even the game improvement irons. There's a lot more potential options to fit each individual delivery, club head speed, miss, et cetera. And being brand agnostic allows you a much wider variety of options than just signing with one particular company. You know, like if I'm getting fit by, for instance, Titleist, you know, with how I play as a player and a relatively low handicap player with not a tremendous amount of speed, I'm going to basically be into either the T100, the T150, which I play, or the T200, maybe in the longer irons, and that's about it. But if I can open up the the potential for being more brand agnostic in my approach, I might learn that while the T150 goes nice and high for me, if I'm looking to hit the ball a little bit lower, I could go into maybe a Strixon ZX7, or if I want a little bit of a softer feel off the club face, I could look at a Callaway uh, Apex CB. So the point is, every brand has their different interpretation of each product. And if you're limiting yourself to just one brand, you get that interpretation and you have to fit yourself into it. Um, whereas fitting more brand agnostically gives you a much greater variety of outcomes. And ultimately, you know, from the professional level, if you're brand agnostic, you know, you're, you might get a contract that pays you a couple hundred grand a year to play a certain club. But as we see, even like last weekend, right, Chris Kirk just won $3.6 million. And if you go into a brand agnostic approach and truly find something that's better for you, you're going to make way more money in being that brand agnostic, you know, selection process over forcing yourself into a brand that might leave a little bit of meat left on the bone, right? And I think yeah. it brings into a broader... Right. Oh, go ahead. No, I, I think that's more so what I was getting at, you know, at the pro level, I think, uh, you know, I, I think being brand, brand agnostic has probably had a, had a positive effect on Jason Day's resurgence. Yeah. So, so also what I think is, you know, Jason Day is probably the first person to really jump through the individual individuality and style. You know, Jason, uh, John Daly used to wear loudmouth pants, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. It kind of became a little bit of a sideshow, to be honest. Um, Jason brings the Melbourne brand in with his, you know, more baggy pants and like, you know, a little bit of a different look. You've seen the joggers over the last few years. But I think Jason Day is like the guy who's kind of broken down the door. And I think you're going to start seeing that spill over, not just into what they're wearing, but what they're playing as well. Um, because... Honestly, like with the amount of money these golfers are making and to a bigger picture, uh, my belief is the game is starting to get like noticeably easier for the highest level player. And there's some reasons why we can talk about later on as we dive deeper. But I think you're going to see players be far more open to trying new things. And one of those things is I think I'm going to, I'm probably not alone in this category. And I think other people have said this, but I think you're going to start seeing much different equipment interpretations over the next few years. Probably the most obvious being more graphite iron shafts. I think you're going to really start seeing graphite iron shafts played at the highest level. You know, the equipment and like the engineering behind it probably hasn't been uh, nearly as good as it is today. The materials, the quality control is getting so much better from 
everything in the manufacturing process because since the clubs are so good, that's what the manufacturers are really investing money into is, hey, let's develop a product that not only is going to be unique, but is so repeatable from box to box that we ship out that even a tour player is going to trust that over an old school, you know, steel shaft X100 that the tour players have widely played for, you know, the last 30 years at least. No, absolutely. And look, you know, you talk about, you talk about, uh, the manufacturing tightness. I mean, I've built sets of golf clubs with the Fujikura Axiom, which, you know, we'll get to that later, but for 2023, for me, that was probably the equipment, um, highlight, uh, yep. of 2023 for me. I mean, you would take seven Axiom 125X shafts out of a box and they're all 125 grams, give or take 0.1 or 0.2 of a gram. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. That's great. Yeah, yeah, like I've always looked at steel as a little bit more medieval and a little bit more analog almost. You know, from a build perspective, Todd, you're going to have a better sense. But, at, you know, graphite to me appears more digital, right? Like you can put material in any particular spot you want. You can replicate it, I think, a little bit easier. You can really customize the bend profile, the EI profile of a graphite shaft a little easier. But the challenge was always creating a graphite shaft that was stiff enough in the tip section, especially at that diameter. And, you know, Axiom and Velocore, uh, you know, I think that's going to, that's really the, the big leap up is you can finally start making a heavyweight graphite shaft that is stiff enough in the tip section to also scale down at lighter weights. And I think that was kind of the breakthrough that the golf touring pros kind of needed to trust it under the highest pressure. And I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, you start seeing more uh, aggressive outfits, for lack of a better word, and the brand agnostic approach in the pro game, the touring game, I think is going to start really taking over. Yeah, absolutely. Give, give J.D. Uh, credit I, for that. Oh, 100%. Look, I want to talk about Axiom a little more um, a little bit later. Cool. But yeah, look, I, I think, you know, as an Australian, I love the fact that and, and as someone who loves being brand agnostic, I love the fact that Jason Day's doing what he wants. And I love the fact that Jason Day's playing great golf. Um, sticking with the century, um, scoring average on Sunday was 66.7, the lowest scoring average ever at Kapalua. Um, it beat the record that was set two days prior. Man, 29 under is just ridiculous and look i gotta say um yeah it, it's there's kind of a bigger bigger conversation to be had about pro golf but you know as it relates to a to equipment and we can keep this relatively high level i just get the sense that the equipment's just too easy for these guys to hit so what's the solution yeah, I actually think the ball is the bigger issue. And this isn't like pro ball rollback. I just think that the golf ball is so good. It goes so straight. It spins so low. And, you know, the MOI on like the drivers are so good as well. Plus, I mean, they have solved a number of different challenges that have led to, you know, the illusion and mystique of golf for a long time, right? Like, they've all figured out the most optimal way to deliver the golf club. We understand launch monitor numbers so well and what tolerances you want, right? With a certain ball speed, you want to correlate that to a launch and spin rate 
that makes the most sense. Um, the golf ball goes dead straight. Uh, they work tirelessly, you know, give Scott Fawcett a lot of credit for understanding the money ball aspect of golf, right? The probabilities. While older players used to use that to their advantage, the golf ball spun so much that there was a lot more variance in where it was going to go time and time again. And even from like box to box, I think you could probably go back 50 years and get a brand new set of golf balls. And if you had the ability to launch monitor test those things, they probably all worked a little bit differently. So once those variances start going away and you know, okay, if I swing this club at 97 miles an hour, hit down on it six degrees, three degrees across and deliver 26 degrees aloft here, you know, on this seven iron, it's going to go 183 yards. It's going to land. It's going to have 6,800 spin. It's going to land and maybe move a little bit to the left. And then, you know, cause I know what the greens do. Cause I have the green book. I know that once it catches that slope, it's going to dump itself pretty close to the hole. Tiger was kind of the first guy over the last 20 years or so to actually start doing this uh, new modern game. And I think it's fair to say that like, you know, not everyone, no one's Tiger Woods, obviously, but all of the modern players are playing the same type of game that Tiger Woods was playing in the late 90s and early 2000s. I think the equipment and the golf ball itself have simplified so much on top of the strategy element where you can plan for something and the ball actually does what you're planning to do. And I just don't really believe that's how it was, you know, for the hundred years leading up to this new era. Yeah. Yeah. God, I'm looking at the century. I'm trying to figure out uh, you know, obviously, Scotty Scotty Scheffler's his tee to green is just phenomenal. I think he was in the top five all time uh, strokes gained tee to green <laughs> uh, last season, and you know couldn't putt worth a damn. Um, he's got himself a new Logan Olsen putter, and his putting's getting better. He he shot seven under to finish twenty five under for the tournament, so he had a great tournament. Um, and he's had some improvement in his putting since he made that switch to the the, the Logan Olsen putter. But you know, I I honestly don't know where I'm standing with with pro golf. I mean, they're all hitting those shots. I'm I'm wanting a battle. I'm not I'm not seeing I'm not seeing any fight. Yeah, it's you a know, putting contest. Any, yeah, it's. Uh, there's some sterility to it. You know what I mean? For sure. And that's why like, I'm just of the belief that golf has kind of become a little too easy. And, mm. and obviously those guys. Yeah. Let's clarify that. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's like yeah. becoming too easy for the world-class player. And obviously, you know, everyone's short game at the tour level is excellent. So that raises the floor of their scores. They can hit the ball terrible and shoot 72 or 73 and survive to live another day. But the offense is so great, you know, 320 yard carries and, you know, eight irons that can go 135 feet in the air. And, you know, like the ability to just attack these holes. I mean, the most notable probably LACC last summer. Of course, I played a bunch and Ricky Fowler and Xander Shoffley just shot 62 there day one. The course was way too easy for them. And it was playing like 7,600 yards. They're hitting nine irons in the par five, uh, par fours that I've literally hit three woods and seven woods into. Like, it's just a totally different game, and that's great and all, but I feel like in the past, you felt like you could almost relate a little bit more than the current player now. Um, well, I don't have a good solution for it other than make the golf ball spinnier, right? But, I mean, why would you do that? Like, sex sells, yeah. hit the golf ball 360 yards, you know? But what about the equipment? I mean, look, look, I 
the clubs too. I mean, these guys are, you know, you've got, uh, you've got guys hitting T-150s. You've got guys hitting, some guys hitting T-200s. The, the long end of the bag is completely different to what it used to be. Yeah. Um, so much easier to hit. And I think, I think, you know, driver is just, these guys aren't missing fairways that much. It just, it's different. It's different. And, you know, it, it, it wasn't that way before. You had guys playing blades. You had guys hitting one irons. You had, and, and I'm not reminiscing about the good old days here either. I just, you know, it kind of comes with, uh, you know, some some kind of hope of, well, what's the solution? Like, I would love to see these guys all hitting blades. And, so, yeah. or, 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 you know, you talk about bats, wooden bats in baseball versus any other forms of, of, of amateur baseball. Um, man, I, I would, I would love to see that. I would love to see more us open setups. I would love to see things more penal, uh, tighter fairways. Like there's gotta be something to make this, this a better display of the abilities of the best golfers in the world. Yeah, no, I, I get it. Right. Um, I just think the standard has gotten so much higher. Yeah, that's true. One last thing on the century. I'm watching the last nine. Xander Shoffley, um, he's eight consecutive pars on the back nine. Um, and then Eagles the last. He finishes 24 under, tied for 10th, eight straight pars, as I said. He's had 11 top 20 finishes last season, the most of anyone. Like, his. His stats, I'm going through his stats, and the reason I want to go through his stats is because, like, the guy just doesn't win much, you know? And I love Xander Shuffley, but, like, I don't see an eye of the Tiger, um, and I he always seems to just come up short. I'm trying to figure out why. I would love to know why. Um, you know, I even went I even went and had a look at, at his – his putting stats. Um, but I mean, look, he last year he was ninth place strokes grain strokes gained T to green. He's 47th off the tee. I mean, he tightened that up this week, but he's third in strokes gained approach, 60th in greens and regulation, though. He seems to have some issues in in approach proximity in the areas of 125 to 150, from 75 to 100. I mean, he's he was 87th last year from inside 100 yards. He's, he's averaging 28.44 parts per round, 30 seconds. I mean, that's, that's obviously ridiculous, but, you know, we're talking about, talking about the PGA Tour. And then I get across his, his, his finishes per round, right? So he's 23rd place, average 23rd place in putting um, for round one, 100th place uh, for round, putting in round two. 14th place in round three and then 65th place in round four in terms of putting average equal with Scotty Scheffler, who we know is had an absolute dog of a year on the greens last year. And, you know, if, if he putted well, he would have won a hell of a lot of tournaments. And then I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, well, hundred place in round two uh, on average. It, he's also, he's also made, you know, pretty much, I, I think he's number one in cuts made or something like that. So I'm thinking to myself, is he, is he taking his foot off the gas on Friday? 
and just letting it slip a little bit. And then what's happening on Sunday? He's just not making it. What's the pressure there? Like the guy has the ability. I mean, he made a lot of three putts on Sunday as well, but I don't know. I think there's a mental thing going on with Xander Shuffle that, that is just, there's a, there's a barrier there that's just not allowing him to win. I think he's, uh, I think it's all mental. Uh, maybe there's some mechanical stuff there too, but I think it's more between the ears with Xander. Yeah. I mean, I was, uh, you know, I had a chance the first time I saw Xander, it was in TPC Boston at the, uh, the FedEx event there. You know, this is probably six or seven years ago at this point. And I didn't know who he was. I just saw this dude with a big, uh, a big ass hitting bunker shots next to Andrew Landry who's this little tiny slight guy relative to most of the golfers on tour. And I was Mm. just watching a physical specimen and I was like, what is this? Because Andrew Landry is, you know, one of those players with amazing skill and touch, but he just doesn't have the horsepower of like the true show ponies that are out there. And I couldn't tell who it was because, you know, he's in the bunker, he's wearing all black. It was like 105 degrees. He was super tan. I thought it was Jason Day at first, and I was like, that's not Jason Day. Who is that guy? I feel like he was still pretty new on the scene out of SDSU, and I had never really seen him in person. And all I know is he was like competing against Andrew Landry out of this bunker from about 50 yards away I was watching. And it looked so unbelievably unfair of a fight between the two that I was mm-hmm. like, I don't know who that guy is, but if he's not a top five player in the world, I'd be shocked find out at Xander Shoffley, uh, finally got to see his face. And I was like, wow, I can't believe yeah. the talent of this guy. Um, it just jumped off the page immediately. I'm not the first one who said that, obviously, right? Um, look, I can't be in his head. I think, you know, all it takes really realistically to not win on tour is to miss one putt, right? Like, mm-hmm. look at some of the scoring from this week. You know, one of my favorite traditions is always looking at the leaderboard at the end of the tournament and identifying a guy who played great golf and had no chance of winning, right? And tied for 33rd this week, you had Sam Burns, right? He shot 69, 68, 68, 69, finished 33rd place. Get the hell out of here. Like he's so far behind the field. And what did he miss? Like one putt around to keep him out of the top 10. I mean, I heard a stat and I have to verify it, but everyone was talking about how Ricky Fowler was in this huge slump over the last few years, right? Well, his scoring average was like one shot higher than it was last year when he broke out of the, the, the slump. So look, I'm sure, and I'll, I'll bring it back to Xander, like the eight iron he hit on 16 at the Masters the year he had a chance to win. You know, he claimed that he got gusted and he peered the shot. I think it was pretty clear he did not hit a good shot. And yet yeah. he just kind of refused to admit it, which was, I thought was interesting. Goes to tell you a little bit about his psychology, I, I think, or at least the pressures that you know uh, his his father's kind of put on him, or whatever. I don't want to go into you know his backstory too much, but look, I just think that you know you can be incredibly talented and not necessarily have that killer instinct to fully rise above your fear inside right the imposter yeah. syndrome like that's a good example of him standing on the tee at 16 at augusta and thinking if i hit this shot i'm going to win the masters and in that half a second from the top of his swing into impact i would guess he probably had a little bit of a whisper in the back of his head that said something that distracted him 
you know, like I don't want to say Xander's not, you know, someone who can perform at the highest level because I've seen him win golf tournaments before, but I think it's really hard to do. I miss the best players in the world competing. Like I think I think that's part of it as well with pro golf and part of it at the century. I mean, Rory's not there. It's an elevated event. Um, you know, so many good players have left. Um, in a couple of years it's gonna be a little different. Um, yeah. you know, I think when it's when it all comes together again, but you know, for the moment it's just I think it's a little bit out to lunch for me. Um that said, I'm still watching. I'm still watching. I'm still watching, but I, I want I want the game to come full circle, you know, we're obviously in this weird spot right now where the golfers are kind of putting their own personal interests and business interests in front of the glory. And I get that. And I think that's a necessary evil in any competitive sport where you have this massive economy around it. Um, But I'm still going to be super, super stoked, you know, come April. You better believe it. (laughs) What, What do you think was the best equipment release? of 2023 um the best equipment release i mean i mean the layup is auto flex because i mean i guess it wasn't even released in 2023 so it doesn't count for me without a doubt the best release of 2023 um total game changer was the release of the fujikuri axiom iron shaft yeah and the reason i'm gonna say that i mean i it is the first shaft for me that Performs like steel um, and is as tight as steel. Feels like steel, delivers like steel. And, you know, look, I've I've seen, let's take the Axiom 125X. I've A-beat it with, you know, a plus one handicapped golfer who plays P790s with X100s. He's hitting the X100s. The, the launch is, is just dead straight. And then I hand him the Axiom 125X, exactly the same. I mean, exactly the same. And then I get his take on it, and he says they feel no different. Like, and they 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 were performing identically on the range. Yeah. And then I go out and I build myself a 105S with the Strixon ZX7, and it is just a machine. Yeah. And so, so for me, you know, I I gamed um, the Fuji Pro. The, the precursor to the Axiom, and for whatever reason, it wasn't right for me. I lost all my swing confidence, went back to the to steel shafts and got it back. Um, kind of vowed never to, to use graphite again in iron shafts, but the Axioms changed my mind. And I think the Axiom, well, I mean, it's going to do what Ventus Velocore did, like just become the biggest selling iron shaft of next year and the year after it's going to be it it's in basically every test i do now because of what you said and and i do believe and we, you know we touched on it earlier in the podcast like golf or, or tour players are going to start playing these a lot more common you know you've seen the mmt a little bit on tour like abe answer was using the mmt 105x for a bit bryson was famously the first golfer to use all 14 clubs in his bag with graphite shafts uh in a tournament, and I believe he won the U.S. Open playing all 14 graphite shafts. Bryson's obviously the anomaly. Um, Steel Fiber's been on tour for a while. You know, Matt Kuchar's made a ton of money playing Steel Fiber for a long time. I don't believe he's playing it anymore, but 
the Axiom is like the one product that creates the the stability to fight against gear effect at impact in a graphite shaft while also offering, you know, proper vibration dampening and the proper weight and 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 like you said, it delivers like steel. That I think that is kind of the big breakthrough that the graphite iron shaft world has waited for for a long time. And I wouldn't be surprised if there's further iterations of Axiom. You know, they'll probably even make, you know, like they did with Ventus, a higher launching model, like a red Axiom, a blue Axiom, a black Axiom. I don't want to speculate on what Fujikor is doing, but they can spin that product into a ton of different opportunities. And mm-hmm. All well, the other I mean, they're already doing and, Yeah, and all the other manufacturers are going to follow suit. I mean, why wouldn't you, right? And it really comes down to how good the manufacturers have gotten at building the golf clubs and the shafts properly and consistently. Yeah. That's the key. Yeah. And look, I, you know, look, Fujikura have just knocked it out of the park. Absolutely out of the park with the Axiom. But so that's 2023. I mean, there's a number of releases uh, announced today. I mean, we saw new irons for Ping, Ping Blueprint. We've, uh, you know, the D430 Max 10K. Wow, that's a mouthful. AI and 10K. Is this going to be 2024? I mean, you got to create a new story every year, right? Now, again, like, some we, can, of the, we can just end right there. Like oh. you've said it all. You've said it all. The products are so good that they have to come up, especially the publicly traded companies. I mean, think about it. They have a fiduciary duty to create and drive growth and revenue for their shareholders. And if they don't, thousands of shareholders start actually losing money on their investment. As publicly traded companies, you have a duty to come up with the latest and greatest at all times. And it's funny, I was listening to Marty Jertson talk about what Ping did. They're using like a centrifuge in order to like inject the steel or or excuse me, the titanium face into a platform that creates a perfectly flat surface when building the 10K, among other things. And it's like, okay, so these companies and Ping, ton of respect for them, the engineering company that builds golf clubs truly, and really the, the founders of proper club fitting, to be frank, like they're coming up with new machines to manufacture the clubs more precisely, right? Because yeah. you can only make the driver go so fast and they have to find new stories to you know drive revenue and find committed investment towards these new products. And anything that they can do to show it is great. I mean, the funny thing about the 430 and the 425 and the 410 and the 400 that preceded it, um, you know, they have a patent on their center of gravity. I mean, that's why they don't want to change it because that driver is the most straight, the most forgiving club each and every year. It might not be for everyone. I would argue Ping is probably the most polarizing brand and products on the market. But I've also found that when a client comes into my fitting bay with a Ping product, they leave with a Ping product far more often than any other manufacturer loyalty that I see, right? When you come in with a brand agnostic approach, you're constantly looking at, well, let's try all of these and see which one works better. And whether you come in with a Titleist, a Callaway, a Mizuno, a, you know, a, Cal- uh, um, a Strixon, whatever, chances are there's a pretty good shot. Another manufacturer might win your business. But when you're with Ping, like it's 50-50, which is really unique because when you yeah. start understanding and feeling where that center of gravity on the driver is, it's hard to kind of move off of that. 
And yeah. I think the 10K is just another iteration, the most perfect version of their fantastically forgiving driver. And, yeah. you know, I, look, I, they're all forgiving. Like they're all forgiving. Of course and they are. I mean, look, we have all the math. And they are the buzzwords of, of 2024. Yeah, but like they really are. But we have all of the math to prove that if you build a driver like this, the ball flight works pretty good. So you know, Callaway spends millions of dollars on their Microsoft supercomputer to start running and testing in real time all these different iterations of face topography. And they figured out, I think they went from like 15,000 to 25,000 to 35,000 different face models to create the most forgiving and straight face on their Paradigm AI smoke. And, you know, like how much better can these things get? This is like part of my, my conspiracy theory on the ball rollback. If you were to change the golf ball because all of the equipment is at the theoretical limit or at least pretty close, then that opens up another 10, 15, 20 years of product innovation where we have to start developing the products fundamentally different to support the new golf ball. And you know, if I'm looking at it with my tinfoil hat on, I feel like that kind of makes sense. I mean, these companies are billion-dollar companies. And because of that you know, publicly traded fiduciary duty, Man, like it doesn't necessarily hurt to be given a gift of changing a variable to create another 10 or 15 year runway for innovation, right? And like I've been saying that since day one. I don't know. I might be totally crazy, but it makes sense to me. And I just like to to use logic to to come up with insights, you know? Yeah. I, I also don't think that if uh, someone had to choose which one of us had a tinfoil hat, um, that who it would be. <laughs> <laughs> I just love questioning. Uh, uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Mizuno out coming out with some new blades. I'm a Mizuno fanboy. I love that. Like paradigm versus AI smoke. I mean, how much difference is there really in those two clubs? Like how much is it? A little bit of forgiveness. I mean, I, again, I think it's, you can't look at it as, oh, like this is going to be so much better, right? The process is different. Like they've gone throughout the process. They've made a better driver from the ground up using all of the available information they've been able to glean. Look, every driver, each time they come out, they're going to be a better product than they were in the past outside of a, a failure, Right which has plagued the industry at times. Like there's companies, I won't name names, that put out products that just aren't as good as the product before it because they've wanted to innovate with something new and give them credit for taking the risk. But, you know, when you already have a really great- I'm going to guess. <laughs> when you already have a great- I'm going to guess, really, because the next thing I was going to say was, was you know, did Taylor May take a step back with stealth? Because <laughs> I don't think that, you know, and, and we're talking about the new QI10. I don't think Taylor May has had a, uh, a driver head that's, you know, the, been as good since the OG Sim. I mean, yeah, the OG Sim was like the, the perfect driver of that first generation of titanium, you know, drivers. Or, and you get into this new generation where, you know, the, the, the entire industry is focused on, we need to do AI, we need 10K, we need all this stuff. Like, one of the big advantages of change, like one of the restraints, I should say, of the modern driver is 
while everyone thinks titanium is this really lightweight material relative to steel, it's lightweight, but it's still a heavyweight metal. Look it up on the periodic table. And when you have a 460 cc driver with a big old forgiving face on it, you know, that club face is 50 grams. A driver only weighs maybe 190 to 200 grams. So you have a massive amount of the weight right on the club face, which means the center of gravity is going to be forward. And ultimately that driver is going to lose stability in MOI. Okay. If you can change the club face to a lighter weight material like carbon and save 15 or 20 grams to the front of the club, then ultimately you can put that weight further back, which would increase the MOI of the driver, like just based on basic physics, right? So the idea is not new, but, you know, TaylorMade was bought by another company right before they released Stealth. And again, I don't know anything internally on that side, but I wouldn't be surprised if a little new ownership syndrome came in and they said, hey, let's release this product. We're the new owners. We want to make a big splash with our new acquisition of TaylorMade Golf. And they may have rushed Stealth One and it was plagued with a couple you know, quality assurance issues where the face kept popping off. And unfortunately, it kind of rolled into last year as well. My take on on QI10 is it is the proper stealth, the way that it was designed to be built in the first place. And they've had a couple of years to really perfect that process. And I would expect that driver to still maintain some of the advantages of the lighter weight club face, but also, you know, perform like an OG sim. And I would expect this to be a great year for them. If it isn't, then, you know, I don't. I don't really know what and, they're going to look at, right? So I would put it looks like a side list. Yeah, like I would put faith in the institution that you know TaylorMade's going to come out with a truly good product that not only the the a truly great product that not only all the tour players love, but I mean, as usual, they're most likely going to be the best selling driver because TaylorMade is the marketing company that builds golf yeah. clubs. It always has been, right? Absolutely. What are the most common problems you see in golf bags? You know, when people come in the door, even with low handicappers, is it length? Is it flex? You know, like just just give me the quick the quick three. Yeah, people play golf clubs that are too heavy and too stiff for them. Period. A tour player swings a six iron somewhere between ninety five and one hundred and ten miles an hour, and the amount of force that they're putting into that golf shaft is unique compared to the amateur player who has a full-time job or has other life interests, isn't specifically training to swing a golf club, right? When you're swinging a driver 105, 106, 107 miles an hour, and you're playing a tipped, you know, Ventus TR7X that a Rory McIlroy was swinging at 125, who's also built like a golf machine, like an iron Byron, chances are it's probably not going to work for you. Now, there's always exceptions to that rule, but it's one of the easiest things that I can diagnose and fix. You know, I just, I have so many people come in and it's, they go and buy clubs and they assume that they're standard length. They assume that they're standard lie, lie angles. Like, like if you buy a set of clubs and you know you've bought them off eBay or or wherever the first thing you got to do is go and get everything checked because you just don't know what you're going to get 
and even that extends to new clubs. I mean, make sure that you get your stuff checked. I mean, manufacturing tolerances, they're a lot better. Like they, they have improved significantly of late, but you know, you just need to make sure that the stuff that you buy, you get it checked and the specs are correct. Yeah. I mean, like, think about it, right? Like if you're not getting something custom built by a custom build shop, okay, like TrueSpec, for instance, who I work for, who's literally cutting the shafts, they're bending all of the clubs to the exact lie angle. Like we have a tremendous amount of capability in getting something dialed in exactly to the spec, right? At Encino Golf Labs, you have that same thing, right? You're cutting the shafts to the exact length that we want them to. You're bending mm-hmm. the club heads to the exact same loft and lie that you want them to. If I'm a company, you know, a, a major manufacturer, and I know I'm selling 200,000 sets of this product in the first quarter of 2024, I don't have 5,000 Todd Howes to make sure I'm going through and building each one to an exact spec. I mean, that's just the reality. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. All right. I'm going to fire, I'm going to fire, uh, rapid fire 10 questions at you. Okay. Number one, number one bucket list golf course. Augusta. I'm a lefty. Come on. Favorite ever major and why? Um, there's a lot of them. I mean, the Tiger at, at Torrey is, is hard to argue, obviously. I mean, that was incredible. Kind of broken leg. Uh, clearly, yeah, yeah broken leg. And, and just making that putt on 18, like, against everything, like, the POA is bouncing so much. Like, for that putt to go in, we all knew it was going in, and yet it still went in. Like, I mean, that's kind yeah. of the answer. It's my favorite major tournament of all time. Yeah. 2008. Third question. How far back does your memory of watching golf go? What tournament? Uh, memory of watching golf. I don't know, man. Like probably going to the greater Hartford open, which is now the travelers, you know, as like a five-year-old kid, 105 degree heat, thunderstorms and outside of Hartford and Cromwell, Connecticut, probably that, uh, seeing David Duvall, uh, you know, hit the golf ball three times out of bounds. And yet he still somehow made par on that hole. Like that's a burning memory in my head. Uh, and I guess I wasn't that young for it, but I specifically remember him hitting three balls out of bounds and somehow he carted a four on that, on that hole. So, uh, they must've found the first one just in bounds, I guess. That kind of answered two questions at once. Um, first tournament you ever went to yep. was the next question. Yeah. Greater heart um, open. What is the greatest golf shot of all time, in your opinion? I think it's hard to argue Tiger's chip in at Augusta is maybe the greatest shot of all time. If you really think about it, because at first it's like, there's no way that's the greatest shot. There's been so many other shots. Like it's hard to argue. That's not the most iconic shot ever hit. I mean, think about the, how many people saw it, the moment, obviously the ball just falling over the edge. Like, how can you argue that? And I, I think in time, it's gotten more and more impressive. And the moment was so incredible and how big his eyes were looking at it. Like he saw everything. He executed it absolutely perfectly. I mean, that's a perfect golf shot in my mind. In your life. <laughs> in your life, have you ever seen anything like I it? did not, Vern. That was the only time. <laughs> Dream foursome. Anyone living or dead? So my dad... Tiger Woods. And the third one or the fourth guy to round this out, 
I'd probably say like I think it'd be super cool to play with uh, with JFK, right? Like I think that'd be super interesting. Like because all of the stuff he knew back back in the fifties and sixties, like I just want to know that. That man, I, I would be Jack Black as long as he sung his way around the golf course. <laughs> Jack so. Black, okay, yeah. Um, I mean, we're playing par golf here. Uh, is there a phrase that you say? When you hit a ball flush, uh, I I can't think of one. I mean, I just every time I hit a, a a perfect shot, like it's one that I remember. I mean, it's that simple. Like I I don't I don't say something as much as I feel that that moment, right? And like everyone talks about the cliche, it's like, oh well, that's the one that keeps you coming back. Like when you hit a perfect golf shot, it makes your day, it makes your week, and. You know, I'm sure I've said some colorful language when I've hit shots like that, but I usually like can't get over it. And I try and tell people, did you see how good I hit that shot? <laughs> <laughs> Whose golf swing do you want? Um, mm, mine. I want to own my swing. Uh, I'd take Freddie Couples any day. Yeah, uh, that's a good one. Favorite, favorite golfer of all time. Yeah, I mean, it's silly not to say Tiger Woods in this situation, obviously. But um, I mean, I, I I think that Ben Hogan is probably like the guy that I would look at as you know, if I could, it, I, I would say he's probably my favorite. I mean, one of the reasons being just he was not a very big guy, and it took him a long time to finally break through and win, and he just dug it out of the dirt, and then obviously overcame you know, uh, almost dying in a car accident. Um, but he used to get beaten up, uh, all the time on the golf course by Byron Nelson. They both grew up, you know, outside mm -hmm. in, in Texas next to each other. And Byron just beat him up over and over and over and over again until finally Hogan conquered. So I would say his story is probably the most interesting to me. And, uh, I would pick him. Best golfer currently either PGA or live. Oh, I mean, me John Rahm, like John Rahm is the best golfer. Like, I don't think there's much argument there. You could argue Scheffler is also the best golfer, right? But, um, Rahm has a certain sense of, uh, excitement and artistry that like you can't, Scheffler just cannot compete against. John, John is, ends up being the golfer of his generation. I think when it's all said and done. He's damn good. I saw him at Torrey Pines. Yeah, it's wild. Sunday. Just incredible. Who's the golfer you just can't stand? Mm, I can't stand. Oh, there. I mean, there's definitely some good answers here. Uh, give me one. You don't even have to have a reason. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to like. Well, you talk, don't even need to know why. It's hard to talk crap about these guys, right? Uh, Commit to the shot, dude. Come on. I'm not going to say Patrick Reed. I'm not going to say Patrick Reed. I'll say Patrick Cantlay. I, I don't, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan of Patrick Cantlay in, in any capacity. Um, you know, good, good for him. Good for him. That, that's about the extent of, of how excited I am about Patrick Cantlay. Love it. Great player. So, no question. Great player. Not interested. <laughs> I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. All right. What do you got for me? Um, Obviously, you were a musician, okay? You toured around the world. Where was the coolest place that you ever played? 
Amsterdam Paradiso. Wow. Okay. Who is best venue in the world? What's that? Best venue in the world. Best venue in the world. Cool. Haven't been there. Need to do it. Um, who was the the person in music that you either met kind of by accident or you were truly starstruck by in your touring days? Man. Um, I met Michael Stipe and Hanson in the same room on the same day. Met Hanson? Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a charity relief thing. Um, I honestly can't remember now. Wow. I did a lot of things in my thirties, dude. <laughs> That's why I can't remember. Um, Michael Stipe Hanson met Robert Plant, played Ewan McGregor's birthday party. I met, I met a bunch of other people. I made a fool of myself in front of a lot of people too. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. You got to make it but, cool. You got to be rememberable, you know? Um, what's the, you have any golf superstitions and like, do you bring anything out on the golf course that you have to have in order to play, you know, with a, with a clear mind? No. Okay. Um, what do you mark your golf ball with? A custom ball marker that I've just had made from an incredible club builder, um, based in Orange County. His name is Brandon Marino from Nebula Golf. And it says the Iceman uh, and Encino Golf Lab on it. Um, I had two aces last year, so I put Iceman on it. And that was the only nickname I've ever had in my entire life. So, yeah, it took a while. That's great. I have two myself. My ball marker. Yeah. Uh, once you make one, it's hey, you win. You know, you, you can't. Yeah. You have no regrets. It's great. Um, what's the best shot you've ever hit? Second ace. The second ace. What? Which? That was at in the Ryder Cup event we played. Yeah. So it was the Los Verdes. We were playing a match play against Penmar. It was the twelfth hole. We'd gone two up through ten, and it was howling twenty miles an hour on the eleventh hole, which is a long par four. Um, the Penmar guys are are an absolute riot. Um, <laughs> Jared and I pulled out. It was a it was a risk reward par four, short par four, howling downwind, and he pulls out a hybrid. I pull out the three wood or the four wood, and the two Penmar guys call call us pussies. We end up probably twenty feet short of the green, and they just pull both of their drivers left through the green. We walk off with birdie to go three up, and they're super pissed. And uh, the next hole's a hundred and fifty yard uphill par three. Uh, we've got the honor. I step up to the tee. That 20 miles an hour is now blowing from left to right, and and I just hit the most flush draw, held up dead straight into the breeze. I saw, I, and as soon as I hit, I was like, "That's going to be good. That's going to be real good," because it was going right at the flag, and I knew it was going to be the right number, and it just bounced. I heard it hit the flag, and I couldn't see it. It was an uphill par three. And then one of the, one of our guys from the tee box, tee box behind just runs down. He says, "It's in the hole," and that was just that's the best shot I've ever hit. Best best golf shot. Best most memorable moment of twenty three as well. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Yeah. Would would, would you rather fight one hundred ducks or one horse sized duck? Oh man, do I have any tools? No tools. 
No, no weapons. Except for your ball mark from Nebula Golf. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'd fancy my chances against the duck, horse sized duck. Oh, interesting. That's one hell of a beak, but yeah. That's going to be reckon a hell of a beak. I mean, look, I like, you know, it's, it's a David and Goliath story. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True that. Um, Where's your favorite place you've ever been on the globe? Damn. Hmm. Boy, I couldn't tell you. It's a big I place. A lot, I, I've been to a lot of places, like my experience of Barcelona is driving into Barcelona, pulling into the venue, doing a show, leaving. And driving to France, like I've been to so many places, never really spent time in there. Yeah, you know, time there. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to give you an answer on the next episode. Wow. Okay. I stumped him. <laughs> I stumped him. <laughs> you stumped me. Yeah. Uh, last meal. What would my last meal be? It would have to be Italian. Either either a, a really good pasta or curry indian okay who makes the best fast food burger not including mm. in and out i don't rate in and out at all i'm not even a fan of in and out controversial we might lose some yeah. listeners here i yeah. don't really yeah. like it either i think it's fine but i'd rather a five guys burger i really would <laughs> yeah it's not the burger it's the fries but who makes it's from good. all the big chain fast food restaurants who makes the best burger I'm so not fussy, dude. It's really situational for me. I will eat anything. I think Wendy's makes the best one. You should try it. Wendy's it's does a good burger. Good. It's pretty Wendy's good. Wendy's does a good burger. <laughs> we got a Shake Shack that opened up. That's <laughs> good too, but that's not really fast. Food. No, it's not really. I mean, it took 45 minutes to get our order the other day, but like, it's 900 yards away. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. And last one, uh, go to wedge. Bounce and grind. Uh, just bounce and grind. Uh, Doesn't it can be loft. It, I want loft. I want bounce. I want grind. Like which is the one that you're trusting around the green? If you only had one to carry, yeah. fifty-eight degrees, less than uh, four degrees of bounce. Uh, well, six degrees or less of bounce. Okay. Okay. So and grind. I would have to be very similar to a T grind Voki. Really? Okay. So you open yeah. that thing up a lot. I, I grew up when, you know, we didn't even know what bounce was. And so a lot of, a lot of stuff was low bounce and I just play low bounce. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Hard surfaces in Australia too. Yeah. And here. Yeah. It's just, I love a good low bounce. I love a hard pan lie. Yeah. All right. One bonus mm -hmm. question just for fun. Mm -hmm. um, aliens, are they real? Yes. Definitely. I love it. I love it. That was good. That was a good rapid fire. <laughs> well, I guess that does it for this episode one of Imposter Syndrome, uh, a, a golf podcast. I've been your host, Todd Howe. Uh, huge thank you to you, Sean Fagan, my co-host. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, whatever your listening platform is. 
And if you're driving now, uh, don't subscribe right now. We want you to practice responsible driving on and off the golf course. Uh, if you love the vibe of the podcast, please leave a review wherever you can. You can follow us on Instagram at Imposter Golf Pod. You can follow us on YouTube at Imposter Golf Pod. Uh, we're currently in the throes of getting our website uh, set up, so uh, we'll give you some more information on that in the up and coming episodes. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Encino Golf Lab. You can follow Sean on Instagram at SKF Golf. Uh, if you got any questions at all regarding fitting and building, uh, send us a DM on Instagram right now at Imposter Golf Pod. Bye for now. Peace.